1: Walking the Path with the Buddha. Today is part three of our four-part series to learn loving kindness meditation. This is a very important meditation for your practice. In order to move to the enlightened mental state where the mind is peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy, one would need to eliminate from the mind craving, anger, and ignorance. And these are the the defilements or Part of the pollution of mind, where the mind functions in a way that it has discontentedness. It has anger, sadness, frustration, irritation, annoyance, guilt, shame, fear, boredom, loneliness, shyness, jealousy, resentment, all of these discontent feelings and others, you know, things like anxiety and stress. Well, these feelings are actually caused by the mind itself there's pollution in the mind that causes these discontent feelings and it's through training in the buddhist teachings that we train our own mind the buddhist teachings aren't rules it's not a religion it's not something to be followed but instead as we learn the wisdom of the buddhist teachings it antidotes that ignorance or unknowing of true reality and as we gradually learn we're able to apply his teachings as part of the eightfold path in order to actively train the mind to eliminate this pollution or these defilements. One of the defilements that is in the unenlightened mind is anger, hatred, ill will, and all the lesser versions of that as well. It's loving kindness meditation that trains the mind to eradicate this anger, hatred, and ill will from the mind, transforming it, where we, instead of practicing this hostility and aggression, Through our intention, speech, and actions, we practice loving kindness, which is this genuine interest in seeing all beings be well, this active goodwill. And then through transforming the mind in meditation, we then transform our intentions, speech, and actions in daily life through practicing things like non-ill will or harmlessness or ensuring that our speech has loving kindness as part of it ensuring that we're not causing harm through our bodily actions, because any harm that we put out into the world is only going to come back to us. So if we put out anger, hatred, and ill will, this hostility, this aggression, that's what's going to come back to us. The people around us are going to function in that same way. But by us practicing, by us transforming the mind, and not believing the teachings, but practicing them, this is where we put out better and better conduct better and better mental discipline because of this wisdom that we cultivate and then this helps us to practice in a way where we're not causing harm to others so therefore no harm comes to us so i'd like to thank all of you for choosing to learn the buddhist teachings and by progressing to this point where you're now in the third part of this four-part series I've already taught a lot of details related to loving kindness meditation. So my intention today is just to recap, just a brief little aspect, just to help you guys remember what loving kindness meditation is. And anybody who's joining us for the first time, if you haven't done loving kindness meditation with us before, you'll know how to do it. Then I'll open up to any questions that you guys have on your practice of how things have been going. And then we'll actually do a loving kindness meditation session together. And at the end, we will open things up for questions again. So let me share with you guys just a one aspect of what I've shared previously, but this is only just to kind of help those that need a refresher or someone who maybe has not joined us for loving kindness meditation before. The way that I do loving kindness meditation is I still do breathing mindfulness meditation on the front side. So We do chanting to kind of ease into meditation. We do breathing mindfulness meditation to kind of clear out the mind, prepare it for loving kindness. Then we do loving kindness meditation. Then we finish up with some more breathing mindfulness meditation and some chanting on the backside. This is usually about a 30 minute or more meditation. And when we get to that portion of time where we're doing the loving kindness meditation, I'll be guiding you with these affirmations. This is just kind of a brief little sample where in the mind, on the out-breath, you will be saying, may I be peaceful. And you'll just say that on the out-breath. And then when you take in the next in-breath, on the next out-breath, may I be safe. So I'll be saying these affirmations out loud. There's four in each ring and then you will repeat it whenever you get to your next out breath. And this will help to transform the mind away from anger, hatred, and ill will. We'll make these rings kind of applicable for those of us that are meditating together today. But what you should be doing is you should be customizing this meditation for your specific needs. So if there's people or groups of people in your life currently, or people from the past that you have certain anger hatred ill will towards you should be including them as a ring in your meditation so if you have a contentious relationship with your sister or your brother it should be you know may barbara be peaceful may barbara be safe may barbara be well may barbara be free of discontentedness and the suffering it causes always starting with i being yourself And then gradually moving to more and more rings and then eventually getting to all beings. But you would like to customize this if you have anger towards your partners, towards your children, towards your parents, towards your siblings, your coworkers, friends, neighbors, maybe people in your past that the mind is still holding on to hatred or anger because that hatred or anger, it's only hurting you. It's inhibiting you from being able to interact with people without hostility and without aggression, being polite, kind, friendly, and respectful to all beings. So by you removing this from the mind in meditation and then being able to practice through your intention, speech, and actions, you're then able to gradually, gradually wear away these harsh feelings of anger, hatred, and ill will And this will allow you to interact with people in a very loving and very kind way. And because that's what you're doing, you will notice that more and more people will practice that way with you, that because you're putting out loving kindness throughout your daily life and your intention, speech, and actions, then others will practice and put out to you intention, speech, and actions that are with loving kindness. Not everybody. We're not trying to transform others. We're actually trying to transform our own mind. We're working to transform our own mind. And by us doing that work to deeply uproot and clear out this pollution of anger, hatred, ill will, and you practicing in wholesome ways, because you're practicing in wholesome ways, wholesomeness will come back to you. And it takes time. It takes gradual training. This isn't a magic, you know, click of the fingers, one meditation, and then your mind's completely transformed. It's gradually wearing it down. The Buddha used an analogy of like a a worker like grabbing onto a tool that has a hammer, like digging and digging and digging. It's like each day you won't know how much anger you've worn away from the handle of this axe, for example. But over time, you gradually are using this tool over and over and over again and you get to the point where you realize you've worn away so much wood off of this handle so the same thing is as you gradually train the mind with loving kindness meditation you gradually wear away this anger and more and more you're able to practice towards all beings in this loving and kind way so let me pause here and see what questions you guys have if any regarding how we actually do loving kindness meditation because While we do it in class together, this is something you should be doing on your own if you're really interested in transforming the mind to enlightenment. The way that you would ask questions is to put those into YouTube, Facebook, or Zoom in the comment section. Our moderators will see that and ask your questions. Or in Zoom, you can electronically raise your hand, and our moderators will call on you and give you an opportunity to ask any questions or follow-up questions directly.
2: Hi, David. Would you say it can be useful to use individuals from the past that may no longer be in our lives in the rings?
1: If there's any kind of hatred, anger, ill will, anything resentful, any kind of jealousy, any kind of harshness or agitation or irritation that you have in the mind towards anyone at all, that needs to be completely eradicated in order to get to enlightenment, because an enlightened mind is going to be peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy, not even having the slightest annoyance or irritation with anybody at all. So when you observe through mindfulness, awareness of mind, that the mind has this, whether it's people currently in your life or people that are in the past, or if you end up meeting new people, and after a week or two or three, this irritation arises, if you understand the Four Noble Truths, then you understand you're causing it yourself and you need to eradicate it. So breathing mindfulness meditation will help eradicate craving, desire, attachment, but loving kindness meditation is what eradicates the anger, hatred, and ill will. So anybody and anybody, whether it's your past, currently, or the future, you should customize this meditation so that you Ensure that you have those people or those groups of people in your meditation. So, if somebody, for example, had not just individuals, but say somebody was racist against a certain ethnicity or a certain group of people, you know, maybe because of sexual orientation or religion or something else, you would be interested to include them in this meditation as a group of people so that you can wear away any kind of racism or sexism or xenophobia or any of these other things that the mind might be holding on to that's causing it discontentedness. Because if there's racism or sexism or discrimination towards people of a certain sexual orientation or a certain ethnicity, this is going to inhibit you from having loving and open relationships with all people where you can then have opportunities in life to interact with people of all types because the mind is holding on to some conditioning where you might have been brought up in a racist household or you might have been brought up in a unkind household where certain groups of people were talked about in a negative way. and Maybe you're holding on to some of that conditioning from your family life. And the way that you transform that and get rid of it is through the entire path to enlightenment with breathing mindfulness meditation and practicing all the other aspects of the path. But loving kindness meditation is what will transform that any kind of hatred or anger, ill will that has been developed as a result of any kind of conditioning that you've experienced growing up.
2: It seems like that agitation and ill will is really the key. When we feel that if that's an indicator that perhaps we should include whoever that is targeted for in our meditation.
1: Exactly. You know, anytime you observe any kind of irritation or annoyance or agitation, even if you know, you've been meditating and doing breathing mindfulness meditation for several weeks and you feel like you haven't really needed loving kindness meditation but you go out into the world and somebody cuts you off in traffic and you get really angry, have that person show up in your meditation because you're never going to see them again. But if you hold on to that anger or that hatred or that irritation, that annoyance, it's only going to disrupt your own mind. So it's important that wherever you see any kind of agitation or anger or resentment towards any being, whether it's human, whether it's animal, whether it's a hell being, afflicted spirits, a heavenly being, uh, anyone or any being, you would like to eradicate this from the mind because it's only going to allow that defilement of anger, hatred, and ill will to continue to be dwelling in the mind. And you're not going to be able to experience that peaceful, calm, serene, and content mind with joy because there's this anger, there's this irritation, there's this annoyance, there's this Agitation, there's this hatred, this ill will towards others. So, this is the meditation that will help to transform that out of the mind. And then you practice it and you practice being polite, kind, friendly, and respectful in daily life. And one of the things you can do is if you get used to doing this meditation in daily life, you know, you're walking down the street, somebody bumps into you. Rather than they get angry and the ego comes in, you just okay, may you be well, no big deal. Or if somebody cut you off in traffic, oh, may you be well, may you be safe. And you don't have to turn to anger. So what you're really doing is you're kind of rewiring the mind. Where in the past, maybe when somebody cut you off in traffic, you maybe got angry, you yelled, you cussed at them. Maybe you gave them certain gestures with a finger because of the anger that has arisen where now you can replace those destructive thoughts with somebody cut you off in traffic. May you be well. May you be peaceful. Go ahead. Enjoy. Use the lane, right? So we do this in meditation to to transform the mind, but then you can bring it with you in daily life and even use these affirmations. Maybe you're walking down the street and you see a homeless person and you would really prefer to be able to stop and help them, but maybe you're on your way to a business meeting and you can't stop in that particular instance where maybe in other times you can. And maybe rather than feeling any shame or guilt that you can't help this person, you just think in your mind, okay, may you be well. Uh, like today, you know, Nick and I, when we were at the temples, there was a gentleman who came up to us asking us for money and, uh, you know, we asked him, we said, you know, are you hungry? Would you like something to eat? And he said, no, I'm, I'm fine. I've already eaten, but I'm just trying to get some money to travel to this other city. And in my mind, I knew that I wasn't interested in giving him a donation or giving him money. But I, I, in my mind, you know, thought, may you be well, may you be peaceful. And if he was hungry or thirsty, I was more than willing to have him come eat with us. But he said he had already eaten uh, he was just looking for money, and I didn't think it would it was wise to create a habit where people are coming to the temple and asking for money, so I chose not to give him money in that situation, but in the mind, I still thought, you know, may you be well, may you be peaceful, so you can use these affirmations in situations where maybe you're interested to help someone, but you don't. One of the things you can do is just repeat this in your mind and just kind of know that, okay, I'm letting this go because we can't go around and save every single person. You know, there's a massive amount of famine. There's a massive amount of poverty. There's a massive amount of issues in the world. And we can only help so many people. You know, if we helped every single person, we wouldn't have money for ourselves and our own family. So there are certain situations where I'm able to help people, and I do. And then there's situations where I'm not able to help that person, or in this case, the person had already eaten. They didn't need any food. They just wanted money. But the way that you can help your own mind is ensure that rather than looking down on somebody who's asking for money, is instead just in your own mind, wish them well. May they be well. May they be peaceful.
2: So it's really what's important is how we approach individuals and situations mentally and rather than being aversive toward them, we're accepting and open and that's exactly what loving kindness meditation seems to be teaching us and training us and training our mind
1: for. Exactly. So the Buddha never gave rules that was like, okay, every time you see a homeless person, you know, give them money or every time someone asks you for money, give them money. You know, the Buddha didn't have any kind of rules like that because there's nothing that's permanent. You can't really give a set of rules of how to function. It's more about guidance and how you should practice the teaching. So what we do is we develop this wisdom and we practice in a certain way and we approach this politeness, kindness, friendliness, and respectfulness. But being polite, kind, friendly, and respectful doesn't mean you give everything to everybody. Every time, you know, you encounter someone in need, that you automatically give. you know, That's not what the Buddha's teaching. Instead, he's teaching you to practice where you're cultivating these qualities and then you understand that you're applying them in real world situations. So using this same type of example, when Nick first came to Chiang Mai about a week and a half ago, we were walking down the street and there were some people who are addicted to drugs and alcohol and I, you, used to see them quite regularly and i would give them food and water and things like this and i hadn't seen them for about two years because of covid i haven't been going down to that area and when i was with nick we were walking around the city and and they saw me and they came right away and i haven't seen them for a while and i know that they're struggling with food because you can tell their their ribs are sunken in their stomach sunken in their face is very sunken in so nick and i turned and we went and got some food and water we brought it to him and in that situation i know that okay maybe they're addicted to drugs maybe they're addicted to alcohol which it, it seems pretty obvious but if this food can just help them get one more day in their life maybe they will get to a point where something will happen and they can let go of these cravings to hold on to the drugs and alcohol So my goal in that situation was just to help this person uh, sustain their life, where today the gentleman was very clean clothed. He already said that he had had some food and those kind of things. And my way of practice in that situation was to not give him a donation because I felt like that was the best thing in that situation. It doesn't mean that I wasn't practicing loving kindness. You know, loving kindness isn't that every time somebody confronts you with need for money that you give to them that's not what loving kindness is that's not what being polite kind friendly and respectful is because you can't permanently give to everybody you need to use wise decision making about how you choose to practice these teachings and in this situation it just made so much more sense to me to offer this gentleman food and water and then when he said he wasn't hungry then I knew at that point, like, okay, there's no need to give him any money because it looked like it was just a craving for him to go to another city and to be in a temple environment where someone's approaching you and asking for money. This isn't the method of receiving help. If you really need help, he would normally go to his family or to his friends, or there's government assistance that he could go and, and get help and things like this. So It's important to understand that practicing loving kindness and practicing compassion and practicing all these teachings of the Buddha, you have to find that middle way that if you're always, 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 always holding on and trying to practice giving, 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 giving generosity and loving kindness and compassion all the time, eventually you're going to get to a point where you've exhausted all your resources and you don't have anything for your own family. But also over here, if you never shared with people and you never were kind and you never practiced generosity and loving kindness, your mind would be selfish and you wouldn't be able to get to enlightenment there either. So that's why the Buddha always taught the middle way. And when you find that middle way and you're able to practice in that way, then you know that I can't always give, but I can't never give either. I need to find ways of helping people. And it's not just money. It's also with our time, effort, and energy as well as our resources. So finding that middle way, even with something like loving kindness, if you are having craving, desire, attachment to loving kindness, it will lead to discontentedness because you're not going to permanently be able to always practice giving something to somebody because you would eventually end up exhausting your resources and not have food for yourself. So that's why in this meditation, the loving kindness always starts with I. May I be peaceful. May I be safe. May I be well. May I be free of all discontentedness and the suffering it causes. Because if this being that we call David or James or Rick or Nick or Donnie or a Mercia or any of us, if we aren't well ourself, if we're not taking care of ourselves, how could we ever take care of anyone else and practice loving kindness? So that's why In order to practice loving kindness for others, you have to first have loving kindness for this being that we call David or James or Manal or any of you know whoever this being is, this person that we call Manal, this person we call James, you have to have loving kindness for that being as well. And if we don't, then we're going to find ourselves very empty and depleted while we're trying to meet the needs of everyone else around us We haven't taken care of our own needs. And that's part of that loving kindness towards ourselves. is coming to these classes and reading the books and doing your meditations and going for walks in the park. And if you need a massage, go get a massage if that's something you enjoy. Or go on a holiday, you know, take time off work. Don't feel guilty that you're away from your family and you're charging your own batteries. Because if you learn how to find this middle way, your batteries will never be depleted. Your batteries are always charged. This is why an enlightened being is able to practice the enlightenment factor of energy, where their mind is always motivated, always enthused. They can go out for a whole day of events and still have energy to do something else. The mind isn't fatigued. It's just always practicing a willingness to do something and motivation. Where is if we allow our batteries to get depleted and then we're exhausted and then we're grumpy and we're irritable and we're hungry and we haven't slept well. Now it's going to be hard to practice right intention, right speech and right action. Whereas if we maintain that middle way, your batteries will never deplete and you're able to always be practicing because you're in the groove, you're in the middle and you will always be able to practice. Right intention, right speech, and right action, because you don't allow the batteries to be depleted. You always maintain your practice at all times. Well, thank
2: you, David. Let's get a bass on now for our zoom questions.
3: Thanks, James. We have a question from Rick. it says, "What happens if I have a particularly hard time extending loving kindness to someone who has caused me a lot of harm? I know people." often feel overwhelmed when trying to do this they actually report that they feel worse than they did before attempting to offer goodwill to this person because of the level of harm they did to the person who attempted this meditation
1: yeah so transforming the mind from the unenlightened mind to the enlightened mind it's not easy but it's not difficult either, right? There's challenges, there's struggles along the way. And the Buddha even teaches, you know, don't shrink back from the struggle, right? Because one of the aspects of this anger, hatred, ill will is that the mind wants to create this wall between you and other people. And it can feel like a real struggle to break down this wall through something like loving kindness meditation and practicing loving kindness but what you've got to see is that there's no benefit in maintaining this wall. There's no benefit in maintaining this anger and this resentment towards this person. It's only hurting you. If somebody's truly been abusive and truly harmed you, and when I say abusive or harm, I'm thinking like physical abuse, sexual abuse, verbal abuse. If you've gotten angry because somebody looked at you the wrong way you know this is the the mind causing itself anger or if somebody didn't do something you wanted them to do this is the mind causing itself anger when i think about harm i think about you know physical mental verbal sexual abuse those can be some of the most challenging experiences to develop loving kindness for these people so there can be a huge wall and a huge amount of anger, a huge amount of resentment towards individuals that have done those kind of harms. And while it's a real struggle to break through that wall, it's also a real struggle to hold on to all that resentment and all that anger. You'll feel much better getting rid of it. So you almost have to walk through the fire in order to appreciate being on the other side of that. So continuing to sweep the anger and resentment under the carpet and letting it keep stacking up and stacking up and stacking up is only gonna cause you harm. Whereas if you can pull the carpet back and clear out all this dust, you might have to walk through the fire and you might feel a lot of struggle and difficulties as you're building up your loving kindness. But when you get to the other side of that fire, that's when you've released all the anger, all the resentment, and that's where the mind is then liberated and completely free. So it can be a real struggle going through that, but once you do, that's where the mind actually gets liberated. It doesn't help an individual to hold on to any hostility. Then as you're working on this, keep in mind that you're not trying to convince that person to be more loving and kind. You're trying to free your own mind of this anger, hatred, ill will, this resentment that is harbored there. And keep in mind that it's really challenging to do that in that you don't necessarily have to go backwards like if there's this harm that happened 5, 10, 15 years ago that was physical, verbal, mental, or sexual in nature. Cultivating this loving kindness for that individual and releasing the anger, hatred, ill will, and resentment that's in your mind that's what you're doing in order to free yourself of that defilement and that pollution of mind. But that doesn't mean you have to go backwards now that you haven't seen that person for five years or 10 years and now all of a sudden be like friends with them or associate with them because they haven't necessarily changed and it doesn't make sense for you to go back to somebody that has been abusive to you in the past. But the real problem that the unrelated mind is experiencing is because of this abuse 20 years ago or because of this abuse 10 years ago then the mind is holding on to this anger, hatred, and ill will from the past, and it's not helping you. So by clearing it out of your mind through loving kindness meditation and releasing it from your mind, now your mind can be free of holding on to the past. But don't feel like you have to go back and confront that person or interact with that person. I was talking with a student recently who has... A mother and a father who have never gotten along th- throughout their entire life and throughout their childhood and they were contemplating going back and actually discussing this with them and kind of talking about the conflict and that's always a possibility but one of the things that can probably be most beneficial for that individual is just to practice loving kindness in compassion, practice this loving kindness meditation, release any resentment or hostility or anger for the way they were raised as a child, and then just love their parents for who they are, rather than trying to change our parents, or rather than trying to change that abuser. We're not trying to change the abusers that abused us in the past. We're trying to change our own mind so that we don't hold on to the anger, hatred, and the will, and it doesn't continue to hurt us in our journey towards enlightenment. Uh, May I continue on that question? I have it uh, just a little bit more
3: specifically. Uh, I work with a lot of people who are trauma survivors, and I know there have been times where I've tried to do a guided loving-kindness meditation similar to the one that you have done with us, and the resistance goes up so high. And in the field of therapy,
4: a lot of people, there's a rationale that we don't want to let go of the anger toward the abuser, you know? so and and people do get very overwhelmed sometimes
1: when we're trying to do that form of meditation is there anything uh that i can do when i'm helping somebody with this kind of meditation to help them to do it uh, without being overwhelmed yeah what's important here is that you don't present the teachings of the buddha in isolation where you're just introducing loving kindness meditation there has to be a fully developed life practice so If they're only practicing loving-kindness meditation, they're going to experience the situation that you're describing because it's just like ripping a scab off the wound. Whereas if they understand the three universal truths, the four noble truths, establish right view, they understand right intention, right speech, right action, right livelihood, right effort, right mindfulness, right concentration. They build up their practice with breathing mindfulness meditation. They understand all aspects of this Eightfold Path and loving kindness meditation is part of that comprehensive practice. Now it fits into a framework that they can now deal with these feelings because they understand where they're coming from and they understand the benefit of letting them go and why they're letting them go and moving to this enlightened mental state where it's peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy. So if we try to present any aspect of the Buddhist teachings in isolation, And they don't understand the entire comprehensive path then it can be very difficult for them because they're just kind of like jumping in after the train's already been moving for a period of time so in your situation what i would suggest doing if you were interested in helping these people is starting them off with the three universal truths and then the four noble truths help them establish right view help them establish breathing mindfulness meditation Help them understand how breathing mindfulness meditation is knocking down craving, desire, attachment, and how that's the real cause of their discontentedness. And then help them understand what anger is, which you haven't learned from me yet, Rick, but you'll learn in chapter eight about, you know, that unwholesome root of anger and help them understand this ignorance, this unknowing of true reality. And then more and more they put this together in a comprehensive practice and they're not just practicing something like this in isolation where they're just ripping the scab off or they're just ripping the carpet back and all the dust is flying around and now they don't understand what to do with the dust whereas if you laid down a lot of good foundational teachings along the holy pole path when they gradually pull back the carpet and the dust starts flying around they understand how to deal with this but without those other tools they wouldn't know how to deal with the feelings that are arising as a result of practicing loving kindness meditation and isolation
2: we have a couple questions that come in from facebook from bruce here in the united states there have been ongoing issues with members of law enforcement inflicting violence and in some cases murder on people who are not caucasian I have not been able to open my heart and show loving kindness toward members of law enforcement, specifically because of this, after seeing news reports after news report showing such things. Can you please give me guidance on how I cannot be so closed off and have ill will towards them and instead succeed in showing loving kindness towards them?
1: It's going to be a gradual progress, Bruce. This is really wonderful that you're bringing this up because that's a perfect example when I talked about Creating customized rings for individuals or groups of individuals. That's a perfect example. And there's a lot of people in America that are struggling with that exact same thing. So, what the mind wants to do because of this craving, desire, attachment, because it craves permanence and it doesn't understand the universal truth of impermanence, it sees one incident or five incidents or 10 incidents or however many of officers harming people of color or people of minority groups. And even though there's maybe 100,000 or 300,000 police officers, these 10 incidences have conditioned the mind to now hold on, thinking that all officers are of bad character and of bad conduct. Then the mind starts having this anger and hatred and ill will. This is actually the exact same aspect of the unrelated mind that actually is causing the problem in the officer's mind too. If the officers are treating people of certain ethnicities, certain backgrounds, certain minority groups, and they think like, oh, all minorities are X, Y, and Z, and they think of them in a negative light, it's also because their mind has been conditioned to think of minority populations in negative ways and their mind is having this permanence thinking that okay maybe as a six-year-old child they got beat up by someone of a minority group and now as a 30-year-old male or female they're now thinking that all people of a minority group are bad people because of this one experience when they were six years old and now their mind has become racist or Aggressive towards a minority group because of that one incident when they were young. So, the problem that you're experiencing and that you're being impacted by, that your mind is holding on, it's got this craving, desire, attachment. It's been conditioned to think that all law enforcement officers are of a bad character. It's actually the exact same problem that anybody who's in law enforcement that has racist views they're struggling with the same thing. It's the same underlying problem, which is conditioning of the mind and the mind's craving permanence and it's holding on. So we actually don't solve the problem in the world and individually by everybody holding on to this conditioning. The mind has to observe that while there was these two incidences or five incidences or 10 or 100, those were individual incidences where that particular officer had whatever situation going on and they chose to treat that person that way but out of this 300,000 force of officers not everybody conducts themselves that same way but the unelated mind it craves permanence and it looks across the world and it thinks that all officers are that way it wants to judge each individual officer because the mind has been conditioned to think that all officers are bad So if you understand the universal truth of impermanence, that everybody's a unique individual, everybody's making individual decisions. And just because there's however many incidences that are happening in the news, you shouldn't hold on thinking that all officers are of bad character because of a few situations or even 100 or even 200 situations that have happened. I mean, Over the course of many decades, there's been thousands of these incidences that have happened. So you've got to look at each person as an individual, that's really important, and realize that the real problem is is that your mind is holding on and it's it's got this permanence, it wants this permanence. And you've got to realize that anybody who's doing anything harmful in the world, they're gonna face the consequences of that. So while there may be officers and a certain handful of them who are treating people in unkind ways and disrespectful ways and even murdering and harming people in significant ways, those people are gonna face the consequences of their actions. And if we hold on to the world wanting things to be a certain way and craving for all police officers to be polite, kind, friendly, and respectful, then the mind is holding on. It's wanting things to be a certain way in the world, and it's got this craving, desire, attachment. It's got this mental longing and a strong eagerness for permanence for all police officers to be a certain way. And it's important that you understand that the Buddhist teachings aren't necessarily teaching what's right and wrong, because it would be wonderful to have an entire humanity where everyone is enlightened Everyone in the world's polite, kind, friendly, respectful. Everyone in the world has loving kindness, compassion, and all these other good, wholesome qualities. That would be wonderful to have in the world, and that's what we're working towards as a humanity. But because of the universal truth of impermanence, that's not where we are. And there's going to be some people who are friendly and polite and respectful and loving and conduct themselves very well as police officers. And then there's going to be a certain portion of that population that's going to be disrespectful and hateful and beat up people of different skin colors and different ethnicities we're not saying that we agree with their conduct we're not saying that but what you're doing is with the buddhist teachings is he's teaching you why your mind is discontent that your mind is discontent because the mind's craving for all police officers to be kind or all police officers to be respectful. And the mind isn't understanding the universal truth of impermanence. That it isn't possible because of the universal truth of impermanence. It's not possible for all police officers to be kind. That would be opposite of the universal truth of impermanence. But because the mind is craving permanence and wanting everybody it's wanting, it's expecting, it's holding on, it's craving, it's clinging everybody to be a certain way, you're causing your own discontentedness. So when you see that, that the mind is having this craving, desire, attachment, craving permanence and wanting things to be a certain way, you can train the mind to let go of the world and realize that there's never going to be a time in this lifetime where every single police officer is going to function with loving kindness or compassion or being polite, kind, of friendly, respectful. So, realizing that you're causing your own discontentedness, you're causing your own suffering. And the more that you train the mind to let go and recognize this impermanence, then you can get to a place where you see this certain incident and you know that you don't agree with what the officer has done, but your mind also isn't craving for them to do it your way. This is where you've gotta let go and you gotta realize that the world is not gonna function the way you want it to function. The world functions through these natural laws of existence, but the unenlightened mind wants the world to function the way you want it to function. You have a certain mentality and each individual that's unenlightened does has a certain mentality of how the world should function. And when the world doesn't function that way, Then you get angry, or then you get frustrated, or then you develop this resentment. But what the Buddhist teachings are doing is saying instead of wanting the world to be a certain way based on the criteria that are currently in your mind, instead to liberate the mind, you need to learn these natural laws of existence. And when you realize how the world is organized and structured around these natural laws of existence, Now you're going to look at the world very differently, that you will understand that it's not possible for all police officers to function in a certain way. And the longer you crave and hold on and wanting that to happen, the more angry you'll get, the more irritated, the more frustrated you'll get. So this also goes back to what I was sharing with Rick, is that you really need a comprehensive practice to be able to let go and train the mind to understand impermanence and practice breathing mindfulness, meditation, generosity, all these good wholesome teachings as part of this life practice to train the mind to let go. And you also need this practice of loving kindness and all the other steps of the Eightfold Path. There's not just one piece of advice that I can give you and say, oh yeah, Bruce, do this. And that will instantly release any kind of anger and hostility you have towards police officers. Instead, you have to develop this life practice and put together all the various pieces so that once you understand these natural laws of existence, you'll no longer look at the world wanting it to function the way that you want it to function, but instead, you will look at the world and understand why it functions the way it does, and then you'll be able to navigate this world with peacefulness because you understand how it functions when the mind doesn't understand what it doesn't understand when the mind has this ignorance this unknowing of true reality it struggles it has difficulties because it looks out at the world you want the world to function in a certain way and it's not functioning that way so therefore the mind has this craving of wanting the world to function a certain way as you have intended in your mind and when you don't see it happening the way you want it that's when the mind becomes discontent so you've got to change your perspective and now say my goal isn't to try to get everybody to do things my way my goal is to understand why people do things the way that they do and if i understand the natural laws of existence it will explain to me how this entire world works and how it functions. And once I understand that, then I will understand why the police officers are doing this, because their mind is polluted. Their mind has craving, anger, and ignorance. That's why people abuse each other, physically, mentally, verbally, and sexually, because they're affected by the same pollutions of mind of every single unenlightened being every single unenlightened being everyone who's doing harm in the world has this craving anger and ignorance and as you awaken to this wisdom of these natural laws of existence you'll now be able to look at the world completely understanding it and you'll no longer struggle and have difficulties because you can now navigate the world through these natural laws of existence this wisdom of these natural laws of existence that's very
2: helpful david especially as an american And given the political division that we see in the United States, it seems like it's also great advice that we can apply to people who have other political opinions than ourselves.
1: This is another perfect example. Let's just take something simple like Bruce's uh, topic. That's a very complex topic and there's many different aspects to it. But let's just take a simple thing like, yeah, like politics. There's pretty much each government is set up where there's multiple parties of views and opinions of how the country should run, and there's difference of opinions. One group of people and all the individuals within that group have certain opinions, and then there's other groups that have other opinions, and everybody in that group has different opinions. This is the universal truth of impermanence, but what everybody's doing in the political world, mostly, I shouldn't say everybody, but what a lot of people are doing in the political world Is everybody wants everyone to agree with me. I want everyone to agree with me and I want to do it my way. And where the political environment is struggling is everybody's trying to get it their way, the way that they want it. And now the world feels like, okay, everybody should do it our way. And now we're going to fight over who's right and who's wrong. And we're going to struggle. We're going to fight. We're going to call each other bad names. We're going to do all these harmful things and try to, backstab each other and cut each other and yell and argue and do unwholesome things. And this is somehow going to convince everyone that our ideas are better. And then we're going to improve the world through our ideas, right? But that's not going to work. It's just like kicking up all the dust and kicking up all the sand and everyone's arguing and gossiping and slandering each other and talking bad. Instead, what people can do in the world is take something like a disagreement And rather than getting mad because someone else has a different opinion, or rather than getting angry that someone has a difference of opinion, you can see it that you're never going to live in a world where everyone agrees with you. You will never live in that world because of the universal truth of impermanence. It's not possible for everyone to permanently agree with us in a political sense or in our own household or otherwise. So... The mind keeps wanting permanence. It just keeps wanting permanence. It wants everyone to agree with us. Oh, someone doesn't agree with us? The unenlightened mind is going to get angry. It's going to argue. It's going to try to force this other political party to agree with us. And they're going to try to manipulate and force this to happen. So when you learn the Buddhist teachings and you understand these natural laws of existence and you awaken to this universal truth of impermanence, then when somebody disagrees with you, the mind should be like, well, that makes complete sense that somebody's disagreeing with me because it's not possible for everyone to agree with me. So therefore, rather than be hostile and aggressive and speak in unkind ways that's only going to come back to me, let me just acknowledge that this makes complete sense that this person disagrees with me because of the universal truth of impermanence. And now let me try to understand their perspective let me ask them some questions. Let me consult with them. Let me take some time, rather than sit here and try to control them and convince them that my ideas are right with craving, desire, attachment. Instead, let me ask them some wise questions that will help me to understand their perspective. When you've got one person that's asking questions to understand and another person willing to share that, after they've been heard, they might be willing to now hear you and share your ideas. But when you've got two people that are craving for each other to agree with them, and that craving, that mental longing and strong eagerness is just going and going and going and cooking and cooking, this is where the arguments just blow up about certain topics in the political world or other topics in the world. Because both parties are trying to control the situation. Both parties are craving for the other party to agree with them, this is where the unskillfulness comes out in our intention, speech, and actions, and we end up putting out more harm in the world. Whereas if more people just understood impermanence and that disagreement is going to happen, then we can start listening to each other. We can start asking questions, and we can start understanding another person's perspective. But when we hold on to our own perceptions, what a perception is, is it's a, it's our opinion or the way that we think things should be, our belief, the way the things seem to be. When we cling to our perceptions, it's going to arise anger when somebody doesn't agree with our opinion. So when we can let go of our perceptions and just ask questions and try to understand other people's opinions, now we can have a healthy conversation where... I'm working to understand their opinion and they're working to understand my opinion, perhaps. And then at the end of the conversation, we may agree, but we may end the conversation still in disagreement. And that's okay. It's okay to end a conversation where we both disagree with each other and we do that respectfully. But when we try to force the other person to agree with us and we're in there fighting it out and arguing it out, And we don't want to end this conversation until the other person agrees with us. This is where the disrespect comes in. This is where the unskillfulness comes in. And now we damage our relationships and nobody's listening to anybody. We're both just broadcasting information, craving for things to be our way. So when we start listening and we start asking questions of each other, then we can understand each other's opinion. And we may, by the end of that, find compromise and walk away with a compromised decision that we both agree to. Or we may walk away from that conversation both disagreeing still, but maybe we have a second or a third or a fourth conversation and we slowly work at it and find a compromise. There's somebody that I'm working with right now on something that we kind of had a disagreement a day or two ago. and We've kind of talked about the same topic multiple times, And we finally got to something where we're like, hey, we both feel good about this approach and this plan. And now we're going to walk forward with that plan and, and see how that works. But initially, we disagreed with how to approach this particular thing. So disagreement is part of reality. It's part of that true reality that it's going to happen. But it's when we struggle and we fight and we have this craving for others to agree with us that the hostility and aggression arises and we end up damaging our relationships through unskillful conduct.
2: Thank you very much for that, David. We have another question from Adrian. How does physical pain play into living kindness meditation? Physical pain depletes the mind.
1: Yeah, so physical pain is part of living in the human condition. As long as we're human, we're going to experience physical pain. As the mind becomes more and more enlightened, you don't react or have the same relationship with physical pain that you do when you're unenlightened and the mind is more defiled. When the mind is more defiled and not awakened, when we experience physical pain, it can be very impactful, where the mind thinks that this physical pain is going to be permanent. It gets depleted, the mind gets depleted, the pain almost becomes more and more intense and it's very difficult and the mind and the body really struggle through this pain. And there may even be unskillful conduct that comes with that because we have a lack of mental discipline and we have a lack of wisdom when we're in the unenlightened state. But as we evolve and we awaken more and more, we realize that this physical pain is coming about because of this cause and effect. This action and result, the results of our decisions. This is our gamma, not as a punishment, but just as a result of our decisions. So, if we were, say, in sports and we injured ourselves, well, it was our decision to be in sports and we injured ourselves because of that. And that was our decisions. And now we're left with some sports injuries. Well, rather than be disgruntled about that, rather than be angry about that, rather than thinking that that's permanent. Instead, we can make wise decisions with medications or medical procedures or other things like this in order to eradicate and eliminate this pain as best we can while understanding that this pain is impermanent. And as long as we're in the human condition, we're going to experience sickness, aging, and death. We can't escape that even when the mind's enlightened it's still going to experience sickness, aging, and death. But we can train the mind to not react to this pain. We can train it instead to respond and make wise decisions that lead towards getting out of this pain. And that's the cause and effect, or the action and result, the results of our decisions, the natural law of karma. So meditation by itself isn't going to eliminate physical pain. Even when someone's enlightened, they're still going to experience physical pain. That pain is there for a reason, telling us that something's wrong with the physical body. It's telling the mind, hey, something's wrong. So if if you were enlightened and you stood close to a fire, you're still going to feel the pain of the fire because that's the signal to the mind. Hey, move away from this heat source uh, because the physical body is getting damaged here and it's going to get more damaged if you don't move away. But in that enlightened mental state, the enlightened being is going to feel the heat and then just respond and move away because they know it's impermanent, where an unenlightened mind might feel the pain of the fire and then become uncalm, become unraveled, start cussing and yelling or screaming or blaming other people for this situation when it was really the result of their own decisions. So an enlightened mind is going to experience pain but they're not going to experience discontentedness of mind because of the physical pain. Their mind still knows when the body is experiencing pain, but it's transcended any discontentedness as a result of the pain. But it's not just loving kindness meditation that's going to do that for you. It's the entire path to enlightenment. Again, the comprehensive approach to fully training the mind. As long as the mind is craving, desiring and attached, this strong eagerness, this mental longing, thinking that this body should always be healthy and never feel any pain whatsoever, as long as the mind thinks that way and is craving permanent health, when the body isn't healthy, the mind is gonna be discontent. But as you awaken and you realize that there's going to be situations where the body is sick or there is pain, then you can just skillfully continue to practice right view, right intention, right speech, right action, and all the rest. And then you can just make wise decisions to address the pain, but not allow it to cause discontentedness in the mind. But in order to get there, you have to, again, you know, practice the entire comprehensive approach. There's not just one thing that you can do in order to train the mind to understand the pain and let it go and no longer be discontent when the body is sick or when the body is painful. There's multiple aspects of our practice that we need to clear out all the pollution in the mind, purify the mind so that we can get to that evolved mental state where it's no longer craving permanent health. And it recognizes that feeling pain and being sick is part of the human condition. And that's going to happen from time to time. The only way to get away from physical pain is to attain enlightenment, and then when the person actually dies, they will no longer experience physical pain. This is what we call final enlightenment. So during your lifetime, you can experience enlightenment, where the mind is peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy, but there's still going to be occasional physical pain, but the mind won't become discontent because of it. The mind will just know that the physical body is experiencing pain and then you will take wise decisions in order to try to resolve that pain. But the body is still going to experience certain challenges with sickness and pains and the mind's going to still experience that, but it's just going to still remain peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy. You'll experience that peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy the rest of that life still experiencing pain to alert the mind like, hey, there's something wrong here. You need to address this and then you'll address it with a content mind. But once you die in this life, having attained enlightenment, then the body and the mind separate. It's no longer attached because you can't detach the mind from the physical body as long as there's life. But once you attain enlightenment and there's death, the physical body dies, it breaks up, the mind separates, and now we call it final enlightenment or final nibbana, because the mind is now completely free and it doesn't even experience any physical pain any longer whatsoever so that's the only way to eliminate physical pain as long as you're in this life you'll experience physical pain but you can train the mind to respond to it rather than react to it thank
2: you david those are all the questions we have
1: for now okay So let's go ahead and do loving-kindness meditation session. As you might remember or recall, or if this is your first time joining us, the way that I do this is help you get into meditation position, do chanting together. If you know these chants, you can chant. If not, I'm going to be sharing these with you in a future class. Then I'll do breathing mindfulness meditation to kind of ease you into that, leave you on your own for a bit to do that work. Then I'll guide you in loving-kindness meditation. Then back to breathing mindfulness for a little bit. And then chanting to come out of that. And then whatever time we have remaining, I will open up for any questions that you guys have about anything that you guys would like to discuss. So go ahead and get yourself comfortable. Find a meditation position, either on the floor or in a chair. Maybe you would be seated or lying or standing if you're on the floor, put some cushions under your rear, get that up in the air, lessen the angle at your hip, your knees, and your ankles. If you're in a chair, you're just going to sit stable with your lower body stable. Maybe you'll have your feet flat on the floor or cross at the ankles. Remember, this isn't about everyone doing it exactly the same way because that's impossible because of the universal truth of impermanence. Instead, it's about finding what's comfortable for you. You're not interested in the body being luxurious but you're also not interested in it being painful during meditation. So find that comfortable position. That's where you would like to be, where the lower body is just comfortable. And then the hands and arms should be comfortable in your lap. The Buddha placed his right hand over his left with his thumbs together. And if that's comfortable for you, placing that in your lap, go ahead. But if not, the goal isn't for you to have your body positioning exactly the way as the Buddha You might have your palms on your thighs, your palms on your knees, or the arms on the armrest. It's what's comfortable for you. And because of this universal truth of impermanence, what was comfortable for the Buddha is going to be different for others. It may be comfortable for some people to do it that way, and it may not. So you find what's comfortable for you. For me, I do put right hand over left with thumbs together because it's comfortable. If it wasn't comfortable, I wouldn't do it that way. I would find a different way. So once your lower body and your hands and arms are just completely relaxed, no muscles engaged whatsoever, then you would like your spine to be nice and erect. And this keeps the upper body erect, the muscles engaged. And that's important in order to keep the mind attentive and alert during meditation. We're doing active work in the mind. And in order to actively train the mind and do this work, we need to keep the mind active and attentive. And the way to do that is keep the spine erect. Whereas if you were slouched and lackadaisical, the mind's gonna have a tendency to turn off. Or if you were real rigid and upright, the mind's gonna be too pressured and too stressed. So you'd like to find that middle way, even with the upper body is that it's engaged and you've got your spine erect, but it's in the middle. It's not lackadaisical, but it's not uptight and tense either. Once the body's in position, you just close the eyes and start breathing in through the nose and out through the nose. I'd like to take some nice natural breaths. Breathing in through the nose and out through the nose. Breathing in, experiencing the full breath, and out. The guidance that I give you is going to be different than perhaps the pace of your breath. You shouldn't be trying to match up your breath exactly to the guidance that I'm providing. This is just a reminder for you to breathe in and out. Nice gradual inhale through the nose, experiencing the full breath. And an exhale through the nose. Experiencing the full exhale. Breathing in. In, out. Breathing in. In, out. Start fixating the mind on the breath. The sound of the breath or sensation of air moving into the nose. Focus the mind on the breath. That's the present moment. The mind can be peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy when it's in the present moment. Breathing in, fixating the mind on the sound of the breath, and out. Continue to breathe in through the nose and out through the nose, fixating the mind on the breath. I'm going to do some chanting and then come back with some more guidance afterwards. If you've studied these with me before or with someone else, you're welcome to chant along. Then we'll be back with some more guidance.
4: Arahant. Huh? devartemi So, but I know i Hara Hato Samasam put us up ARA TO SAMA SAMPUTASA ITI PISO MAHGAWA ARA HANG SAMA samuto. We charanang some moono Saka to Roka we to a new dama sati satawa manu sanang. Ohati.
1: should be breathing in through the nose and out through the nose. Fixate the mind on the breath, the sound of the breath, the sensation moving into the nose. This is the present moment. Anytime the mind is not on the breath, you become aware of that. Cut it off. Let it go. Come back to the breath, the present moment. Breathing in. out. As the mind wanders, you haven't done anything wrong. This is what the mind does. It's not interested in staying in the present moment. So wherever you notice that, you cut it off, let it go, and come back to the present moment, the breath. Breathing in and out. You're not judging the thoughts. You're not labeling them. You're not trying to figure out where they're coming from. Just wherever you notice that the mind is not on the breath, cut it off, let it go, and come back to the breath, the present moment. Breathing in and out. I'm going to let you do this work now in breathing mindfulness meditation. Cultivating mindfulness. Eliminating craving, desire, attachment. And thus arising concentration. Singleness of mind. You have nowhere to go. There's nothing to do. No one needs you right now. Just focus on the breath. Breathing in. And out. Continuing to breathe in through the nose and out through the nose. When you get to your next out breath, repeat these affirmations in the mind. May I be peaceful. May I be safe. May I be peaceful. May I be free of all discontentedness in the suffering it causes. May we be safe. may we be free of all discontentedness in the suffering it causes Practitioners of the Buddhist teachings, be peaceful. May they be safe. May they be well. May they be free of all discontentedness and the suffering it causes. All those who are practitioners of Christian teachings, be peaceful. Be safe. free of all discontentedness and the suffering it causes. Practitioners of Muslim teachings, be peaceful. May they be safe. Free of all discontentedness and the suffering it causes. May all those who are practitioners of Hindu teachings be peaceful. May they be safe. May they be well. free of all discontentedness in the suffering it causes. May all those of all faith backgrounds, Judaism, Jainism, Rama Krishna's, and any other tradition that exists in the world, be peaceful. they be safe be free of all discontentedness and the suffering it causes. And may all those who are unaffiliated with any tradition, all beings in the world, be peaceful. May all beings be safe. be well. May all beings be free of discontentedness in the suffering it causes. return to breathing mindfulness meditation, focusing on the in-breath, breathing in, in the out-breath, breathing out.
4: ARAHANG <tries> Hako ato Sawaka sung namāmi Sung Arahato some masa potasa Napmor hasa pako ato Arahato some masa Nap more sab hako ato Ara to some massa potasa E. T. P. Ui cha charanang <muchas> kawito anu tero dama sati satatawa manu sanang okay if you guys would like
1: to slowly start making your way out of meditation i'm just going to come back and now we'll just open up to any questions that you guys might have related to loving kindness meditation or anything else that I teach in terms of the path to enlightenment or any challenges or struggles that you're encountering as you're going through life or as you're attempting to apply these teachings to your life, just let me know what those questions are either in Facebook, YouTube, or Zoom, or you can raise your hand electronically and we'll call on you. Hi, David. We spoke about
2: enlightenment on Sunday and speaking to the importance of loving-kindness meditation would you say that loving-kindness meditation is a required part of our path toward enlightenment
1: yes there's in my view no way for somebody to attain enlightenment without breathing mindfulness meditation and loving-kindness meditation once you understand the three core problems craving anger ignorance which we're going to talk about in chapter eight in detail and you understand that those have contained in them the ten fetters and those are the true problems in the annihilated mind then you understand that the solutions to those the remedies to those so loving kindness meditation is a necessity and the beauty in understanding what the problems are then you understand the why why you're doing what you're doing in your practice And you can really refine and focus your practice. Rather than having 40 or 50 different meditations, you can refine your practice down to these core two practices of breathing mindfulness and loving kindness, because they address two of the three primary problems in the mind. And you don't have to diversify and have 40, 50, 80 different meditations. Instead, you can focus on these two, get really deep, deep, deep into them, and really practice them well the only other thing that you would need really is probably walking meditation in the walking position it's still considered breathing mindfulness meditation but you'll need walking meditation when the mind is too busy too active too high energy you might need walking meditation to bring it down and calm it down or when you're noticing that you're dozing off or sleeping or falling asleep in meditation walking meditation is really helpful for that so There's those four positions, seated, lying, standing, and walking. And then you do breathing mindfulness meditation and all four of those, getting comfortable with that to really round out your practice. And then loving kindness meditation is usually done seated, lying, and standing. We don't do that when walking. But those two right there, by refining it down and knowing that those are the core problems, understanding those problems in depth, then you understand why and how to meditate you can really focus like a laser light on what the real problems are and the antidotes or remedies to those problems.
2: I also had a question about a line from the previous chapter. You mentioned that a Buddha would likely put more effort and thought into convincing people there's a problem rather than the actual sharing of the teachings. And I just wanted to ask you, what do you think it is about the the unenlightened mind that finds it so difficult to see these clear truths?
1: I think that as unenlightened humans who either never heard of the Buddhist teachings or never heard about the path to enlightenment, we just start to kind of accept that sadness is part of the human condition or that anger or frustration, irritation, annoyance, guilt, shame, fear, boredom, loneliness, shyness, resentment, jealousy, all of these discontent feelings, stress, anxiety, we just grow up with living with them and experiencing them We don't have the answers for what they are, and we just end up blaming other people. And we just kind of associate that this is just the way life is, that we're just always going to live with this. We don't realize that it's optional, that we actually can choose to no longer experience these feelings by choosing to train the mind. So I think that because people have convinced themselves that... This is just the the way the human being is and this is what we experience that as a Buddha arises in the world that people won't even understand the problem. They won't even know that a Buddha has arisen because they don't even know what a Buddha is. They don't even understand and a Buddha doesn't have a desire for people to know who a Buddha is because he can actually function more easily and more readily without people even knowing who he is. He can actually help people more readily more actively that way Um, if everybody knew a person was a buddha like let's just say you know that there was some configuration of dots on a buddha's forehead and whenever you saw this everyone knew that person was a buddha people would probably bow down to him and worship him and they wouldn't know how to necessarily function around this individual um, because oh my goodness there's only one every so often and every two thousand five hundred years or something that one occurs and in that way then people would kind of be on their best behavior around this individual and the person wouldn't really be able to see their student's true mind so by a buddha not being identifiable by any physical characteristics they can pretty much operate without people knowing that they're a buddha and they can kind of skillfully help people along the path in very skillful ways and one of the things that you might observe is that People need to come to this path on their own terms. They need to choose to progress on the path to enlightenment. You can't force somebody onto the path to enlightenment. They have to choose their way onto the path to enlightenment. But the reason why we don't see massive people moving towards the Buddhist teachings right now is because the teachings have pretty much disappeared and degraded, but also because people don't even realize that the Buddhist teachings are the solution to all of the discontentedness, because people are still treating it as a religion. They think that it's rites, rituals, ceremonies, and worship, and they've been doing those things for many centuries, and it's not working. It's not fixing the problem. So people start becoming disgruntled about even the Buddhist teachings, like thinking like, did this guy even live? Because what my grandfather, grandmother, my mother, father taught me, it isn't working, but yet we're supposed to be getting to enlightenment and people start thinking that the teachings are no good, rather than realizing that they don't actually understand the true teachings, and what they're practicing isn't leading to enlightenment because they're not practicing the actual teachings of the Buddha. So once somebody realizes that the Buddhist teachings aren't rules, they're not a religion, they're guidance to help train the mind to get to this peaceful, calm, serene and content mind with joy, and that these discontent feelings are optional, that you can eliminate them, and you understand that the solution to the problem of the discontent mind in the unenlightened mind are the Buddhist teachings, and you start seeing progress with those teachings, that's where you can become very inwardly motivated because you're seeing the progress and you're building your confidence, like, wow, I can do this. That same situation that just occurred three months ago, I would have been so angry, but yet the mind is 100% peaceful. I can see the progress and when you see that then you know you're learning the truth and you realize that wow these discontent feelings that I've lived with this whole life are 100% avoidable and be able to be eliminated from the mind and when you see that truth more and more then people will gravitate towards the teachings the people that lived in the area of where the buddha lived that region of the world and during the lifetime of the buddha they would have known very clearly what is enlightenment and what isn't enlightenment, because a Buddha will make that very clear in their teachings. But today, that has been lost. There's countless different definitions and understandings of what enlightenment is. People don't even agree on what enlightenment is. And the Buddha discussed this during his lifetime, that we would be at this point in history that people would be arguing and fighting over the teachings of what the true teachings are. So once we establish very clearly of what enlightenment is and what it isn't, then people can actively work towards it because they know exactly what it is. So that's why in this book, in chapter three, I made it very clear at the very onset of the book exactly what enlightenment is so that people would be very utterly clear about that. And then they understand the ultimate goal and they can actively work towards it.
2: Thank you, David. Let's go
3: back to the yeah. now. Well, we have a question from Team. She says, I cried a lot after meditation as some emotions got released. Is it okay?
1: That's actually a sign that the meditation was successful. It doesn't mean every time you meditate, you're going to cry. But if you're feeling the emotions starting to come up and bubble up and you cry, that's a release. That's a release letting go of the emotions. The problem isn't that you cried, the problem is is that the unrelated mind has been sweeping these feelings under the carpet and covering them up, and then the dust keeps collecting. What you're doing in these meditations is you're pulling back the carpet and a little bit of dust is coming out, and that's why the body and the mind is crying. And that's actually a good sign that you've actually tapped into pulling back that carpet, letting some of that dust fly, and by crying, it's a release, you kind of release it from the mind, I'm sure all of you have experienced that really good cry. You you might have experienced that more than one time in your life where it was like, oh my goodness, that was like the best cry I ever had. I feel like I just lifted a hundred gazillion pounds off of my shoulders. And if you've ever had that really good cry, that's healthy for the mind because you're releasing it. The problem is that the mind's holding on and it's got all those emotions buried deep inside. And what the Path to Enlightenment is doing is you're actually eliminating these from the mind once and for all. So all through our life as unenlightened beings, we've been accumulating all these thoughts, all these ideas, all these harmful things, all these challenges, all these difficulties, and they've been trapped inside the mind. And these meditations and these other techniques are starting to release it, but now you can release it once and for all and clear it out like a clean slate. And once you do that and you work really hard to do that, your mind will never choose to hold on to those things again. But your mind is in transition. It takes a gradual training to do that. So when you work really hard at this path to get to enlightenment, the last thing you're going to do is be like, you know, I kind of liked it when I was angry. I kind of liked it when I used to talk bad to people and I was really hostile and aggressive and people were like really hostile and aggressive with me. And You know, when I was arrogant and egotistical and other people were arrogant with me, I kind of like that. I would like to go back to that someday. You've already worked so much and you've been challenged so much to get to that point where the mind is now functioning, peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy in this enlightened mental state that your mind will never revert backwards to the way it was. There's too much wisdom. The mind has been like reprogrammed in order to get to that enlightened mental state so therefore it will never revert backwards and you'll see that as part of the enlightened mind so part of the process of going from point a to point b unenlightened to enlightened is you're going to cry sometimes and that's okay you just let it go if you hold on to it that's where it'll feel worse and it's going to come up again later but if you cry and you let it go now that particular thing you're training the mind to let go and it can be cleared out once and for all. So it's actually healthy. If you feel like you need to cry, you cry.
3: saying, after meditation, I even remember some missing person that I miss and love, that I haven't seen for so long. Could it be a good thing to reconnect to that person or I should let go this feeling?
1: It all depends. The feeling of missing somebody, This is because of craving, desire, attachment. If you are missing somebody, that means the mind's attached to them. There's this mental longing and strong eagerness when you're away from them. The mind's discontent. You're missing them. And now the mind wants to reach back and grab them and hold on to them. And you think that's what's going to solve the problem. But actually, by holding on to them, it's actually making the problem worse. The mind has to be trained to be away from this person and while you're away from them not missing them realize that they're in their own life and they need to go forward with their own life. So if this is a person in your past from 5, 10, 15, 20 years ago or even 2 years ago that the relationship ended badly or for one reason or another you guys decided to part ways that doesn't necessarily mean you should go back and see that person just because you're missing them because if you guys had challenges in the past, you're going to have challenges again. The reason why you guys had difficulties in your relationship is because of the craving-desire attachment. As long as there's craving-desire attachment, there's going to be discontentedness in the relationship. And the fact that your mind is missing that person says that there is still craving-desire attachment to this person. So if you had a difficult relationship with this person, and you went back and tried to patch it up, you're going to end up right back into discontentedness again because it's the craving, desire, attachment that caused the discontentedness and the breakup. So, since the mind still has craving, desire, attachment, if you went back and made contact with that person, you guys are still attached or you're still attached to that person. It's going to end in discontentedness again. Uh, so, it really all depends. Now, if it was like a mother, a father, a grandmother, a grandfather, some family member like this, knowing that you miss the person, it's still craving, desire, attachment. What would be a wiser solution if you're going to go back and actually spend time, whether it's a friend, family, or what have you, is work on eliminating your attachment first. Work on getting the mind to the point where it's no longer trying to hold on to this person and you're missing them so much. As long as you're missing them, that's the indication. That's the red light that says they're still craving, desire, attachment there. So I would suggest staying away from this person, work on your own mind, eliminate the craving, desire, attachment. Then after you've eliminated, you no longer miss this person. If there's a reason to then go contact the person, if you go contact them, your mind is in a different place. You're no longer attached to them. So therefore, the relationship will no longer cause any pain in the mind. But as long as you're attached to them, you're going to experience painful feelings as a result so you got to first eliminate your attachment to somebody and then if you choose to go back and have contact with them then you can do it on a healthy terms you can do it in a healthy relationship but as long as there's craving desire attachment there you're not going to be able to have a healthy relationship because there's going to be discontentedness it's just sabotaging the relationship So the best thing you can do to show loving kindness to yourself and compassion to yourself and loving kindness and compassion to this other person is work on eliminating your attachment first. Then once you've done that work, which can take weeks or months or sometimes years for certain people, once you've worked on that and you fix that, now your mind's in a better condition and now you have a better chance of having a healthy relationship with this person.
2: We have a question that just came in from facebook from adrian he asked is fear during meditation the same thing and i believe this is in reference to the release of motion emotions that Dave's question was pointing for
1: yes all of these discontent feelings are all coming from the same problem craving desire attachment anytime there's fear guilt shame sadness missing somebody you're worried about something or somebody it's always because of craving desire attachment and the way to fix it is breathing mindfulness meditation and the way to fix anger hatred ill will and we're going to go in and talk more about what that is like i said when we get to chapter eight is to fix it with loving kindness meditation so if fear is arising in the mind It's because the mind is holding on. It's got some craving-desire attachments in there. And during meditation, there's these like soft spots where it's like you're kind of touching those soft spots. And those discontent feelings can arise in the mind. And this is why you don't need countless different meditations. You only need to focus on what the core problems are. And as long as you're learning and practicing what I'm sharing with you as part of this path and all the resources that I share your mind's gonna improve the condition. And the more you understand what the problems are and what the solutions are, the more active, the more readily you can get to the solution. So in a situation where fear is arising in the mind, either in meditation or outside of meditation, you would like to apply right effort to cut it off and let it go. Cut it off and let it go. Cut it off and let it go every time it arises. And sometimes the way to cut things off and let it go is to redirect the mind. So if you're, say, sitting on a sofa and you're watching a TV program and fear arises in the mind because the TV program kind of taps into something that happened in the past, right effort would be potentially to change the channel or get up and go for a walk or go to the bathroom, get a glass of water, you know, go do something else. That's right effort. There's this cutting off and letting go that you're trying to do in the mind, but sometimes it requires you to change activities In order to get the mind to release what it's holding on to, sitting there continuing to watch the program and sitting on the sofa and being fearful isn't going to solve the problem. But when we cut it off, cut it off, cut it off, cut it off and keep letting it go in various different ways that you can be skillful with that, eventually the mind submits and it realizes that this fear is no longer a beneficial thing to have for the mind. And when we get to that chapter which is around, like, chapter, I think it's chapter 17. When we get around that chapter, there's a chapter devoted to eliminating fears. There's specific things we do in order to eliminate fears. And when you start implementing these teachings that I share with you, you'll see that you can skillfully work with these arising discontentedness and you can eliminate them from the mind. But it's all coming from the same problem, craving, desire, attachment. We
2: have a follow-up from Adrian. We have people that we cannot avoid. Can we eliminate the attachment while they're in
1: our lives? You can. You can do things like, for example, at one time I was attached to my son or my wife. You can do things where when you're actively working on it, you're softening up the mind with breathing mindfulness meditation and practicing generosity. My son went and stayed with friends for multiple days at a time. My wife goes to america for three months at a time and i would be home by myself uh, while my son was away and my wife was away and training the mind to be content while alone so you can do things like this where if there's people in your life that you're attached to and you feel your mind is pulling to go see your best friend like every friday you just go to your friend's house every friday because you guys sit down you have some snacks together and you just want to do this so badly and it's been me- so meaningful for you to spend time with your best friend. Well, when you see that it's happening in your mind, and your mind's pulling in that direction. You got to start putting some space in between that. Where maybe you go every other Friday, or sometimes you go on Wednesday, or sometimes you go on the weekend, and you start mixing it up and start introducing some impermanence. Or maybe you even stay away for like two weeks or a month or something, and you just let your friend know, like, "Hey, we're still great friends. I just need to work on a few things." I'm just going to not be around for about a month and then I'll catch up with you you know, next month or something like that. So you can kind of separate the mind from this, get content without constantly going to see that best friend. And then when you observe that the mind has released or you think it's released, then you start going around and spending time with that friend again. But wherever you notice the mind's pulling in the direction of that friend or family member, then you go back and say, OK, this attachment's still there. Let me start putting some more space more space more space and then create those situations where the mind can let go and it's really wise to do this because any relationships that we have craving desire attachment in there's going to be discontentedness we're sabotaging those relationships without even realizing it we're crushing the relationship and it's most likely going to end with discontentedness on one or both parties So when you identify that you do have craving, desire, attachment to children, to life partners, to other family members, you should actively work to eliminate them. And that's the most loving and kind thing that you can be doing. And sometimes it means just creating a little bit of distance or creating situations where if your child has never been to friends' houses for sleepovers and things like this, that you kind of find ways to do that. Or you uh, maybe drop your child off at a caregiver's house and you go away for a holiday for two days or three days and you train your mind even though you're missing them like as soon as you're pulling out of the parking lot your mind's missing them and you're just wishing oh did I make the right decision I should go back and get them you just know I need to let that go I need to let it go and you just keep moving the mind in the opposite direction and train it to let go it's when we have this craving desire attachment in relationships, that we crush them and we sabotage them and setting ourselves up to fail. So, it's so wise to notice when your mind's attached to different people and train the mind to let it go.
2: We have a follow up from Adrian in regards to his previous question. Mm-hmm. So, if, if the fear is related to meditation, cut it off and just meditate.
1: Yes, you have to keep meditating because you'll see when. You read chapter 17. If you would like to go to chapter, I think it's 17, but you can look in the table of contents and see which one is discussing the elimination of fears. The way to eliminate a fear essentially is to confront it. So if the mind is fearful to meditate, then you just keep doing it and keep doing it and keep doing it. Or if you're afraid of heights, for example, you keep putting the mind in situations where it's up high. You know, you go to different levels of buildings, you go up on ladders, you train the mind that there's nothing to be afraid of. Or if you're afraid of spiders or ants, you'd put the mind in situations where it comes in contact with ants, seeing it through pictures on the internet or magazines, or you go out into the natural environment and you see the ants and you just put the mind in the situation where it constantly faces this and addresses this. We had a situation today where we were at a temple and there was a wasp nest and my son noticed it and he was hesitant to go and walk under the wasp nest. And I showed him and I said, okay, you're not doing anything harmful. You don't have to be afraid because you're not causing any harm, so therefore the wasp won't cause you harm. So we just patiently walked under the wasp nest and it took him time to kind of gather his thoughts and I wasn't pushing him, I wasn't forcing him. I even walked under it first alone And then I came back under it again and kind of stood next to him, asked him if he would like to hold my hand. He said, no, he didn't need to hold my hand. But he walked side by side with me under this wasp's nest. And the way that you confront that fear is you put the mind in the situation and train it and teach it that it has nothing to fear. Because this is Conditioning. And I don't even know if my son remembers it, but when he was about four and a half, five years old, he got stung by a couple of bees in his neck. He got two or three bee stings all at one time. So whether he remembers it or not, his mind's been conditioned to be afraid of bees and, and wasp. So here in this situation, I wasn't surprised when he was scared and he had a, some initial fear, but then the way for him to confront that. And release it is to put the mind in that situation walk under the wasp nest and realize he's not causing any harm so therefore no harm's going to come to him and he was able to do that successfully and maybe he'll need to do that a few more times before his mind fully releases it we'll see what happens next time
2: we have a question from T what if I have to practice this meditation for six years is it enough time for me to let go of all attachments Like Buddha spent six years in
1: practice. Every person will need whatever amount of time they need. There's no way to say right now that it's going to take you two years or six years or 10 years or 12 years. The more active you are in learning and practicing, the more progress that you'll make. If there's complacency, then you're not going to make the same amount of progress. But also, if you pursue it as a craving and a desire, that's going to be challenging as well. So we don't know. We can't tell you and you can't figure out how long it's going to take you. It could be six years. It could be longer. It could be less. It all really depends on the condition of your mind because everybody's mind has different levels of pollution. And it also comes down to your determination, your dedication and your diligence to actively working on the path. But we know for sure, we don't know how long it's going to take, but we know for sure if you do nothing, it's going to get worse. And we know that you're going to continue to suffer if you do nothing. So what a wise practitioner would do in my view, realizing doing nothing isn't going to work is, okay, let's do something and let's actively work towards this path. We don't know how long it's going to take, but we're going to actively do our best job in this life To get as close to enlightenment as possible and you're a fairly young person you know we don't know when we're going to die we don't know how much longer we have in this earth in this world but if for some reason you don't attain enlightenment this life your mind will experience a better condition this life through practicing this path and if you don't attain enlightenment this life you will be reborn in a better condition than you were in this life so all the work and effort that you put in to learn and practice and improve the condition of your mind in this life it's going to benefit you in this life and it's going to benefit you in future lives as well thank
2: you david those are all the questions we have
1: for today all right well i'd like to once again thank every single one of you whether you're in the live class or on facebook youtube zoom or anywhere else that we're broadcasting to whether you're listening to this on the podcast or the replay and YouTube or anywhere else. However you're choosing to learn and practice these teachings, this is the very best thing that you could ever do for yourself, those close to you, and all of humanity. So I have much gratitude, much appreciation, and much respect for anyone who chooses to learn and practice these teachings because you're improving your life, you're improving the life of the people around you, and you're improving the world through you learning and practicing these teachings. So thank you so much. Have a lovely rest of your day.
0: Sawadika. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To provide support for this podcast, visit patreon.com forward slash support Buddha. To access more teachings, visit buddhadailywisdom.com.